the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Pat Vitucci says, don't invest and forget. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Retail sales remain largely flat in July in spite of some signs of inflation easing. Mortgage demand, meanwhile, is down with a year-over-year drop of nearly 18%. And the U.S. isn't alone in its inflation woes, as the United Kingdom inflation rate hit 10.1% in July. Welcome again to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager, author, and the principal of Vitucci & Associates, Pat Vitucci, along with our own Don't Invest and Forget, Man on the Street, Charlie Cowain, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, as I say, we're beginning to see some signs that are a bit encouraging, although you have to wonder, given how long it took for us to sort of head down this rabbit hole, what the kind of recovery pace is really going to look like. The president signing into law the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. It seems to be, to some degree, sort of reminiscent of the 1930s attempt to try to pull America out of the Great Depression, that D.C. was trying this and trying that. But in the end, you just kind of have to let the economy do its thing. And I guess along the way, exercise tremendous degrees of patience. We Americans are not good at patience. We want things yesterday, and I'm not going to wait. I'm going to go out and do what I want to do, despite what the economy looks like. But you're right. The debate continues. Are we in a recession or are we not? All the economists are pontificating every day on CNBC, and some say we're heading down a slide. It's a head fake. It's a bear market rally. So you get a lot of conflicting opinions. The Dow is up 14% from its low. Apple's up 34% from its low, only 5% away from its high. They announced this week they'll be announcing a whole collection of new products coming out next month. Apple 14. So we'll see uh, what kind of fun that creates. So we'll know in another couple of months if we really had a recession. I mean, certainly we've had two successive quarters of negative GDP. That is the perennial historical definition, despite what the politicians in Washington say. Liz Cheney lost her seat 
this past weekend. This is not a political show, but we've got to talk about how politics affects Wall Street. It ripples right up from Washington, D.C., up the coast to New York City. It has a meaningful effect. Look, in a couple of short months here, we're going to have all 435 House of Representatives up for election. We've got 14 Senate seats. And so the balance of power could swing one way or the other. The Wall Street crowd loves gridlock. They would love to see one or both houses fall to the opposing party so that nothing happens in Washington. A lot of beautiful, heartfelt speeches that are meaningless. There'll be no important legislation passed. The free, open, capitalistic system will be free of all the friction coming out of Washington, D.C., and we'll see markets do very, very well. That's my opinion. That's my political opinion about how it affects the financial markets. Again, I'm not a politician. I'm not a political analyst. That's my bleacher seat view of how politics affects. So as long as it's, uh, you know, it's kind of gridlock there and that could be good for the market then? But, I think so. I yeah. think so because it, you don't get these, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar inflation reduction acts, which pours more money into an already overheated economy. A lot of folks think that that is pouring gasoline on fire, just further inflating the inflation numbers, which are over 9%. Craig, you mentioned in the opening comment, the UK is over 10%. So we've got some serious inflation issues globally. And when America sneezes, the rest of the world gets a cold. And that's kind of what we're, what we're seeing now. On the good news, oil is, is down to somewhere in the $87 a barrel. It was at 126 just a couple of short months ago. So I uh, filled my car up this morning and I thought I was stealing a gallon of gasoline at $5.50 a gallon. I said, wow, fill her up. This is a sweetheart deal. Forgetting that just, you know, a year ago it was $3 and change. And the national average, of course, is a dollar to dollar and a half more than it is here in California. Oh, so. of course. Yeah. So we've got some leading and lagging indicators that are giving us mixed signals. China economy is slowing. They've adjusted their interest rates. Retail sales, again, remain strong. Lowe's came in with some phenomenal numbers for the quarter. $45 billion in revenue for the quarter. And they also gave out to their uh, team. Um, Craig, you said it in the opening comments, and I'm... $55 million is what they're going to make available in inflation relief to members of their team, which which clearly in part, I think, indicates that they're concerned of potential atrophying of staff in a day and an age when so many retail outlets are struggling to find and keep employees. So the recent revenue quarter was $27.5 billion in revenue. So these numbers are getting pretty outrageous Nevertheless, we've turned to our homes to improve them. And uh, even in this post-COVID world, we're still spending money on our homes. The gamers, the Xbox crowd, continues to drive the high-tech world. I didn't realize, but the gamers, the revenue derived from that is bigger than TV and movies combined. I just had no idea it was that large. So that continues to have a big impact on companies like Microsoft that continue to create these fantastic games that 12-year-old boys love to plug into. Here's a, a fact that I found 
interesting that puts things in perspective. Elon Musk made more money this past year than Warren Buffett made in his lifetime. How's that for putting things in perspective? There's got to be something wrong. There's got to be something wrong with that. Boy, I'll tell you, that's, uh, that makes a huge statement in my mind. And you can't spend that money fast enough. No, no. You, you'd have to hire people to spend your money. Federal Reserve is probably going to raise rates again in their next meeting. Maybe half point, maybe three quarters of a point. Inflation continues to rage on despite oil coming down in price. Ukraine war with Russia continues to um, compound the problem. And those poor folks are getting bombed terribly in orphanages and maternity wards, hospitals, just being blitzed every day. So that war continues on and it has ramifications around the globe. Europe is poised to um, have a very cold, dark winter. They've reduced allocations, not only of oil for heating, but they're also in a water deficit. They've had the driest July ever on record. So the question is, with the market rebounding so significantly, has the market come too far too fast? Is it a bear market rally? Is it head fake? Or is it sustainable? No one really knows the answer. We know earnings are coming in pretty darn good uh, and stock prices are appreciating accordingly. I think it's time to stay with the high quality stocks. Don't get too aggressive with startups. If you noticed, IPOs this year are at a record low. So that kind of tells you the, the environment for creating new companies. The appetite is fairly, fairly low. Housing, I think we're in a recession. I mean, we have pivoted from 2.5% mortgage rates to 5.5% mortgage rates. It dipped a little bit to 4.99 this past week, but it's still up significantly. And so if housing isn't healthy, it cascades into other parts of the economy. Our look today at the headline stories and their impact on your financial life on this edition of Don't Invest and Forget. Pat, I want to return to the conversation where we left off just prior to the break, this notion that we've seen enormous changes over the last couple of years, not only in terms of day-to-day life related to COVID, but certainly enormous changes to the marketplace and what's happening in the world of money. And some folks at this juncture may be thinking, well, I kind of had a historical rhythm going that, that has worked for me. Now I'm discovering that's no longer working. So what do I do? How do I approach retirement planning in a fresh way that is less inclined to look back and more forward thinking? We're going through kind of a re-energizing of and what sector should we be in? We talk about don't invest and forget on this show for nearly 30 years. And this is one of those moments where Sector rotation, getting out of certain areas of the economy, getting into other areas where we think in the next quarter or two will be more productive. That's what we do for a living. That's what we've been doing forever. You know, you can't just buy that sexy fund that did great last year. If you're going through that rearview mirror investing approach, it generally is a recipe for disaster. So just buying that one inexpensive fund at XYZ Fund Company putting it in your bottom drawer. I think those days are long gone, but especially when you go through the rapid changes and the volatility we're seeing in our economy, it just remains incredibly um, important 
to you, look at your you, you, allocations. Well, you probably know that you know the average person is not thinking about their sectors. You know, you wake up in the morning. I mean, what, what do you do? Well, I'm I'm an average person. I, I don't know where to look for how how my sector is doing. That's why we have to depend upon people like you who follow that. That's what your business is to make sure that people are rotating properly in whatever sector is uh, is the idea to be in. Um, but I think the average person, you know, you just can't wake up in the morning and, and think about sectors. So. Charlie, I disagree. I don't think you're an average guy. I think you're a, you're an above average guy. I, I've always said that. Craig, haven't you always always said that? Medium rare to uh, when he, when he buys rare, your yeah. lunch. Well, is let me, let me is he an exceptional guy? Or let me what? change that. Then the average above average person still isn't thinking about sectors. No, they're depending you're upon right. you. People have so many other obligations and commitments, and kids looking after mom and dad, and paying the mortgage, and cutting the grass. Yada yada yada. You're right. Who wakes up and says, geez, I got to read my prospectus to see, am I holding high quality stocks or am I in emerging markets, global markets? Am I in value? Am I in growth? Am I in large cap, mid cap, small cap? Come on, give me a break. This is uh, muddying the waters here, but I think you bring out a good point. People say, well, I can do it, do it myself. And well, maybe you can if you had the time and the energy and the passion. And I'm sure there's lots of those out there. But for those with a full calendar, and you're going to get to it on Sunday afternoon because you piled it all up on the dining room table. Does it really, really happen? These are challenging times to do nothing. I think, in my opinion, is wrong because we are clearly are pivoting to different asset allocation mix that I think is important to drive the point home. Pat, I want to pivot to another topic here that has some investors a bit on the nervous side as we're well into the third quarter, before you know it, we're going to be wrapping up the year. Uh, certainly the final report that will be written on 2022 will will show a stark contrast in performance from uh, 2021 or even 2020 for that matter. And so now I think some people that have seen all of the volatility and are beginning to see what seems to be a little bit of a settling down. We're not watching these wild 700 1,000-point swings from day to day. Does any of this suggest that we've kind of found the bottom here and maybe the correction that you had been talking about for so long, completely separate from events related to geopolitical or the COVID scare, finally kind of bringing a little bit of a sense of normalcy back into the markets, kind of cooling down some of the frothiness that we had lived with really since 2009, 2010. So the question is, are we kind of down at the bottom? Are we going to anticipate potentially another rise here? And for folks that have gone to the sidelines, is it safe to go back in? That is the $64,000 question. Have we hit the bottom a month or so ago? Trying to time the market is foolhardy. It's time in the market that is important. So reallocating to different areas of the economy, but staying invested, you cannot go from cash to in the market to cash to in the market, back in, back out, and think you can time it. There's something like 22 days in the year that comprise the majority of the growth for that year. If you know which 22 days in the year are going to be the growth days, I have a corner office waiting for you. The point is nobody knows when those 22 days are going to present themselves. So you've got to be in the market. You can't sit on the sidelines. 
And so it's it's important to um, to be in the in the market, understand timing is a foolhardy practice that rarely works unless you're some genius that knows exactly what's going to happen. It's important to be invested, not just all in stocks. There's bonds, utilities, mortgages, global markets, emerging markets. There's a whole variety of areas to diversify. Diversification is the key to getting some semblance, not guaranteed, some semblance of decent performance. Pat, for folks that maybe got out because they were nervous and now they're not quite sure how they need to or ought to get back in, there may be even concerns about locking in those losses if they don't do anything at some point here. And there's always, of course, I think, growing sense of anxiety the closer you are to retirement, going through these kinds of moments. I mean, clearly anybody that retired in the last 12 months, they're probably engaging in a lot of hand-wringing at the moment. What can you say to that person that says, look, I just feel like I'm way out of my league here. I recognize the critical importance of investing and saving for my own retirement, acknowledging that Social Security will not be adequate enough for my family to retire on once I'm basically saying goodbye to that biweekly paycheck as a full-time employee. But how do I go about understanding what's right for me? I'm fearful to either be too aggressive, maybe not aggressive enough, and of course inflation is a major factor now. What do you say to that person? Well, you've got to guard your emotions, especially with the past year, as you said, if you just retired and you see your portfolio decline in a fairly significant manner, perhaps if you were at any allocations in the stock market, you can get anxious and guess what? We're emotionally wired. And when you let emotions govern your decision-making in anything, we all know you generally don't make good decisions, whether it's parenting or financing or your career. So you've got to first calm down and kind of reflect and keep things in perspective. Basically, sensibly look at your asset mix. Are you too aggressive? Are you too conservative? We use a lot of guarantee products that guarantee income and guarantee principal. So I like those kinds of products that have some assurances. My theory is if you've got your house insured, you've got your car insured, why not insure your retirement income? And so there's a whole collection of products that can satisfy that anxiety and keep the emotions intact. Again, come into any one of our Bay Area offices, we can describe how those products work. It's a guarantee of income that I think is important for that retiree that gets anxious about, oh my gosh, I lost 10, 15, 20% in the last year. Do I have to call my boss and get my job back? Probably a pretty radical step you probably don't want to take. Maybe that's not even an option. Maybe the door's been shut. So there's a lot of ways of presenting a portfolio design that reduces that emotion, reduces that anxiety. Never eliminates it, but can reduce it in a significant way. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget. Invest and forget. Invest and forget. Welcome back to Don't Invest and Forget. My special guest today is John Paul Mendocha. John is an author. He's a business consultant. John, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Glad to join you, Pat, and your audience. So, John, your recent book, Remote Work for a Better World, and Most Businesses Fail in the First Five Minutes, 
In your book, you talk a lot about a four-day work week, and certainly we're in the middle of this COVID crisis that has forced companies to take a good, hard, granular look at everything, and they're looking at every expense because they have to to survive. Is this four-day work week a temporary phenomenon, or do you think when we come out of this COVID, we will have more and more companies offering a four-day work week? I think what happens is that let's look at virtualization and how that ties into this. So businesses always could go out and do virtualization. That means that you could go and have you, you guys are one place and I'm somewhere else and we're in business together. And that was really something that everybody talked about, but not a lot of people did. And Corona just pushed us to that. And I think that businesses are going to figure out that virtualization works not for everything, but a lot of things. And it, it, it has some distinct benefits. Number one is that it, is that it saves money because we're not going to have as many people warehoused. And then number two is that since people aren't commuting uh, and stuck in traffic or stuck in whatever they are, uh, they're going to be, I think, more productive once the tools catch up and the tools are still struggling to catch up. Uh, and number three is you can hire the best talent because it's not limited to your area, your neck of the woods. And and I think that, that those are, are, are really big, important things. And there's a, there's a potential productivity boost. Uh, the fact that people could actually have more time with their families. Now, right now, they're feeling like, you know, we're, we're, we're stuck. But I think that, that once we get past that, uh, we're going to see that, that, that kind of stay. In fact, when we started talking about this just a few months ago, it was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty radical. Mark Zuckerberg in uh, May 21st, Wall Street Journal said, uh, I got 400,000 people. My plan is within a few years, 200,000 of those people never come back to an office. That's a radical step. I guess your book points out 80% of workers actually favor a four-day work week. Who wouldn't want a three-day weekend every week? I mean, that's pretty attractive. And as you said, having the traffic headache 20% less, which would mean less cars on the road in theory, right? becomes a little bit more attractive to get to work. Anybody who's interested in being green, if you want to really cut down on your carbon footprint, we can talk about, you know, putting buildings with tons and tons of solar and wind. Okay, I got all that. Getting people off of the road, (laughs) getting people where they're not actually traveling and sitting in dead stop traffic, which, I mean, I, I live in Southern California, so I understand it implicitly. When you get that way, you're going to have a green effect that we saw because of the coronavirus. We saw the change happen dramatically. The real challenge, though, is, is societally, you know, will we accept that? Will we really grasp that, that that's valuable and that's important? And you know, we're not quite caught up with that, but I think that this is a trend that's going to be hard to stop. And I think it's a trend that once people figure it out, they can maximize it. My marketing manager is in, uh, you know, is in Omaha, Nebraska. And, you know, she works, you know, X number of hours and she comes in and she does what she needs to do. And I, you know, and we connect and through a variety of mechanisms, imagine, you know, if she had to go to an office, well, she used to, but now she's home. She's gotten used to it. It's taken some time, but her productivity is actually better, her words, than it was when she had to go to an office every day. And I guess one of the subtle, maybe not so subtle, kind of a silver lining is, that millennial working in L.A. or San Francisco that's got all those technical skills, they're moving to remote areas, at least in the Bay Area. Areas like Tahoe and Truckee are becoming popular places because if they can work from their fourth bedroom, 
where the cost of housing is dramatically less than in San Francisco or Los Angeles, and it really is going to be a permanent work life, why not go to an area that's got less traffic, less costs? Maybe you're a skier. Maybe you like boating in Lake Tahoe. All of a sudden, real estate values in those areas is going through the roof. And San Francisco, L.A., I can see some decline in value if this thing really has some sustainable, you know, long-term real effect. If you're out there and you're an investor and you're thinking about, well, what is the effect of this? Well, commercial real estate, there's going to be a question mark about what's going to happen with that. Five years ago, to my ongoing consulting clients, I pose a question every year, kind of post it and say, this is something to think about. What's your answer to it? I mean, I may, you know, it's kind of a look over the horizon. And five years ago, I said, what happens to your business when we get ubiquitous? It's a fancy word for everywhere. Gigabit internet access. What happens when, when we actually get to gigabit? Now, almost no one is there, right? And, and almost no one has that as an upload, I mean, let alone a download. And people are saying, well, I don't quite know. Now, you're talking to a guy who, when I was doing my first turnaround, I was on the road 43 weeks the first year I did a turnaround. Now, I got to tell you, being on the road 43 weeks is a pain. And that, that means you're only home like nine. I mean, it wasn't mean like I was gone all the week, but, you know, I was, I was on airplanes every day. Now, if that change happens and you actually get to those speeds, and the reason why I picked that speed level is that would mean that what you and I are doing right now changes, and it changes dramatically. All of the, the bad television going on or bad cable or bad whatever going on right now goes away because now you can actually have people at home and not have the, the video cut in and out and the audio get garbled and all that. Those are bandwidth problems, and those are things that could be solved and that has a massive change. I, my guess is that one-third of the business travelers go away, maybe half of them go away forever, because you can actually get something that people have talked about, which is co-location, and that changes everything. So Hilton and Marriott become uh, empty uh, hotels now and significantly impaired. And now you have to figure out if you're in that business. I never see a trend really wipe out the, the last trend completely is that now they have to figure out what they're going to do because now they don't have that type of customer that they work off of. So now how do you attract people to come to your location? What are you going to do there? How does that all fit together? Here's how you can get people to come there is you can say, well, look, you can come to San Francisco. You can stay at this great hotel. And, by the way, you have the technology, you know, not what we have today, but the technology to where that person could work three hours a day and then have the rest of the day off because they can now do that and they can actually get meaningful work done. There's nothing more frustrating than not being able to actually access and get this stuff done. But you're right. It changes what that looks like and it changes the mix. My special guest today is John Paul Mendoza. John is an author. He's a business consultant. Is this an overreaction? Are we all just in the middle of this crisis and we're overreacting? Or, or do you think once the dust settles and we're sitting here this time next year and we've hopefully solved the COVID problem with immunizations, et cetera. You think this fad will fade away? So the way to think about it is that there's, there's two ways to evaluate it. One is that it's a deflection. Deflection is you're driving, somebody's driving their minivan, you know, you know kind of that, that great family. Something falls off the back of the truck, jerk the steering wheel to the left, steer around this, jerk the steering wheel to the right, scare everybody in the van because they weren't paying attention, right? They're staring at their screens. That's deflection. 
that's what you were describing as deflection. Inflection is that we're actually moving to a different road. I think this changes and moves us to a different road because it moves us to a different place because once somebody experiences it, and by the way, this is not for everybody. I, I fully acknowledge that some people, they absolutely need that social aspect of being in an office and being around people and all that. But once a large enough mass of people do this, imagine this as a competitive thing. So you and I start a business, and we do virtualization, and we do it right, and we figure this out, and we don't have a $22,500 rent payment every month, and you go virtualization, and now he's got a $4,000 a month payment, but he has everybody virtualized, and he's subsidizing them for having high-speed everything. He's in a better competitive position. So I think that's why it's an inflection point, not deflection. I think it, it changes how we work in the future. And more importantly is that it gives us, as, as humans, it gives us a different life experience. Let, let's face it, when, you know, when my grandmother came to this country, I mean, you know, she worked how many hours a day, kept all of that together, lived through the Great Depression. She did all of those things. And, you know, she didn't have any of these, these kind of thoughts about, you know, hey, what, what's leisure time? She didn't have this concept of leisure time. And we have this right now where we have quality of life that frankly is something that if you went back and told somebody just a short period of time ago, this is the amazing idyllic space, which is why when I hear people complaining about things, I go, really, what are you doing? I mean, that, you know, that, that you're complaining about something that doesn't make any sense to me because you're not taking advantage of all of the opportunities that you have today that you can go do things. So I think it's inflection, not deflection. So one last thought, if you're largely dependent on your persuasive skills, your personality, the socialization of the business deal you're trying to engage. Can a Zoom call or a FaceTime call be as effective in lieu of taking that client out for dinner tonight and having a glass of wine and kind of chit-chatting and getting to know the client in kind of a deeper way? Can the Zoom call, can the FaceTime call accomplish the same thing? The answer is the best way to interact with another person is being in the same space, the same time, in a close proximity. That is always going to be the best way to do that. We moved away from that ideal, you know, you have to see everything before you do it. We started moving away from that when technology started getting invented. Zoom and FaceTime and other services that give us at least that video, that sense that we're, we're seeing the other person I think gets us approximately to like 80, 85% of that, still doesn't get you to 100%. But it does get us better. And again, the tools, in my opinion, and I'm a critic, I mean, I've been pitched all of these tools since day one because of what I do. And these things are nowhere near where I think they can get to. So we're getting closer and better. And the other part is that, is that there's very little good training on how to do a good Zoom call, how to do one of these things. I, I'm astonished when I go and watch a cable news show and nobody figured out that you could put a $200 green screen behind this guy and not have a pole sticking out of his head. I mean, <laughs> did, did no one just like figure this out? But they obviously didn't. And nobody is like going out and saying, we got to fix that. The other thing is that is that as of right now, is I don't know of any company that's now ramping up and saying, okay, how do we build the studio out of, as you call it, your fourth bedroom? See, most people don't have a clue of how to do that. They go, well, I think I got it kind of working out. Yeah, but, you know, you're kind of fuzzy, or this doesn't work, or that doesn't work. So we'll get there, 
And some people get there because I believe it's a competitive advantage. That's, that's what's going to drive it. Eventually, money will drive it as this fades because it is a much more cost-effective way to do this than, than anything else. I, I have access to people all around the globe because of this ability. I believe that virtualization going in this direction offers a lot of opportunities for not only individuals but the businesses they work with, and most of us need to see it as an opportunity instead of a burden. And if you do that, I think you'll do better than others. Author and business consultant John Paul Mendoza, his book titled Remote Work for a Better World. John, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and uh, let's have you on as a guest again. We'll see how this whole COVID thing works out. Appreciate your time very much, and um, continued success. Thank you, Pat. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.